Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Agile Podcast. In this episode, Paul and I are doing a summary of one of our prestigious Pints episodes with the great Dr. Sally-Ann Freudenberg, or Sal, as we call her. Um, Sal's been a proponent of inclusive collaboration over the years, pushing the neurodiversity uh, agenda. Uh, and among other great things that she's done, pushed the Agile field forward, for which we are very grateful. And we had a great conversation. So in this episode here, you're going to hear a few snippets of that conversation. Uh, and Paul and I reflecting on them and, and how we can how we can take them forward and keep pushing things in the same direction. Enjoy it. Cheers. Hello. Hello, Mr. Watts. Hello, proper. After that faux pas. After that, that false start. Yes, we're back. We are back. It's a late one tonight. I know. Almost uh, last orders at the bar, isn't it? Almost. Yeah. Busy day. Busy day. What have you been up to? Where have you been? Still, make, still making time for you. Um, I've been, I was getting to know a new client today. So Ooh. a few, few leaders from a company that uh, that I'm, I'm potentially going to be coaching and I did something else oh I was talking about a new a new what's the what's the word medium I think so I've been approached by a company about um, turning my one of my books into another sort of platform slash content channel um, so I started a bit of conversation about that um, did some a teeny teeny little bit of writing and also discussing the idea of another book another book but apart from that you make me sound like a right um you know waste time time wasted today i've done i've done nothing i've had a day off oh good well, you. you know day off that's i spent time with my family that's not that's high value isn't it that's value add yeah um we went we went to Ashton Court today. Okay, where's that? What is that? For those, for those people who don't know that, uh, um, that's in Bristol. That's um, a large, I think it's, well, I don't know who owns it, but it's run largely by the council, a huge uh, green area in, in Bristol. You must have heard of the Ashton Court Festival, no? Music no, Festival. Ashton Gate. No, Ashton, yeah, Ashton, near Ashton Gate, near the football stadium. Um, yeah, but Ashton Court is a big kind of a manor house with huge grounds and and deer uh, deers running around and very um, very rural part of of, of Bristol. Mm. But yeah, I, of all the years that Sabrina and I have lived in the West Country and and kind of that's only half an hour forty five minutes away from us. We've I I've never been to Ashton Court, which which feels like when we got there, it feels like somewhere I should have been. But yeah, yeah. never been there. But you kind so of don't, did, do you? you don't kind of do the touristy areas in your no, own. No, you're never a tourist in your own backyard, are you? So um we did something fun you'd like, which which actually we should write down as an activity we should do is okay. disc golf. Disc golf. Okay, which is that a bit is like, like frisbee golf. Frisbee golf. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, we had a great time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I need something new to beat you at, so yeah, that's good. Yeah, so we've done foot golf. This is uh disc golf. So I think for, I'm not golf didn't you huh you beat me at foot golf no i think you won even with a bad knee you managed to win even though your knee was about to fall off you still managed to to win but um no yeah 
today yeah it was it, it was well, well wintry it was wintry. you know it's but but then it got quite warm Autumnal. in the afternoon yeah a bit windy windy on top of the hill but it was yeah it was good really good fun the kids loved it and uh, i came second well, but i was beaten beaten by my wife yeah by two shots on the last hole well it's very nice of you i know i think she's cherry. Better, i think you're a better loser than than your wife would be <laughs> i'll tell her that <laughs> oh, darling darling jeff says jeff says she's yeah. very competitive oh yes yes almost as competitive as my wife she likes to do her best Nice to do the best. Anyway, enough of that. So yeah, that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, crack on. Yeah, let's, I'm going to open a drink. Do you want to go, go first? You, you go first. Well, I've I've actually, because we're, we're talking here about Sal, uh, our chat with Sal, which we had, uh, well, last week, uh, very recently. Um, I've got the same drink that I drank with Sal. Oh, good for you. Um, so I've got a bottle of Inches Cider, mm-hmm. um, which has a special place in my heart. I used to bottle Inches Cider um back in the day in my year out before i went to university an inch of cider was made in a little village called winkley don't laugh winkley uh, with a w um in devon well i i am not drinking the same thing i am drinking an unsafe ipa <laughs> tell me more jeff it sounds like a very agile beer well yes um or so not as the is, case maybe this is part of my latest batch of home brew and I right. have, haven't tasted it yet so um yeah I've got I've done it properly labeled it up batched it up I've got a big case of it it's a 5.6 American IPA um uh it's so it should be I've, I've labeled this before I've actually tried it so <laughs> I, I I did try a little bit before I put it in the bottles uh, it's, it should be a gold color with a slightly spicy citrus note with centennial and chinook hoops hops it's a great way to close out a sprint i've told myself here you go i'm giving myself little uh, little messages so it's a good way if you sprint reviews or you get a few drinks in the bar afterwards well yeah i i also put a little message because i might give this give a couple of bottles these uh, couple of these bottles to people only drink this if the team have carried work over to the next sprint or the product owner has dropped in an essential change request in the middle of a sprint so anytime really <laughs> thank you very much Jeff wrote the jokes. Oh, he's pouring it now. Oh, it's quite dark, isn't it? Well, you say that, but I have this. It's not really because I I made another one. I, I made two. Uh, so this is a, a relatively golden. Yours, you might. See, it's, mm, oh, Jeff, is that in an Agile podcast glass? You're drinking that there? Oh yes. <laughs> and I opened it with an Agile podcast uh, bottle. Oh, you did. You were very much on brand today, Jeff. Very good. Always working. Um, try the veal. The <laughs> so yeah, I've I made this and I made a dark yeah, traditional English ale, so a dark ale which I've right. called is dark side. Um, so yeah, here is here is an unsafe IPA. Cheers, mate. Have a have a slurp and tell us what you think. I mean, it smells lovely. That is by far the best one I've ever done. Is it? I'm really pleased with that. Oh yeah, it's room temperature. Well, it doesn't even need to be chilled. It's nice. What strength is it, Jeff? Have you taken? It's five point five point six actually. Okay, so quite quite a not quite a session ale. No, no, no. But uh, 
it's uh, unfacilitated and unpasteurized. Mm. Very nice. Very mm, nice. Very Cheers. Good. Cheers, chap. Cheers. This, this, will, this should see me, these two cases should see me through to, uh, well, maybe December. <laughs> but on to, on to the topic of why we're here. Yeah. Our, our good friend and inspirator, Dr. Sally-Ann Freudenberg. Affectionately known as Sal. Yeah, yeah. And we we actually talked a little bit about how she's probably not as well known as she arguably should be. Mm. And I think one of the reasons for that is she doesn't really shout very loud about what she does. And she's 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 one of those doers as well. She's stayed doing. Um, and she came up the XP route rather than the, the, the scrum route or the Kanban route or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, it's where she kind of as um well she's very much a technical background, isn't she? And she's um mm. had a keen interest in the in the technical elements, but particularly in the, the psychological aspect of, of it all. Well yeah, she um she's always been a geek. She quite yeah. openly admitted she's always been a bit of a geek. Uh, still loves coding now a little bit, even though she calls herself retired. But yeah, she did um she did a big thing on uh, one of the first times I came across her, probably just over ten years ago, she did a thing at, around conferences. Um, so she's 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 got an academic background as well. She's got a um, PhD. She's done a lot mm-hmm. of studies. And one of the things she studies were, was pair programming. Um, so she studied the psychology of collaboration and used pair programming as an example. Yeah. And we got a little clip of what she said about that. Yeah. So I wanted to understand more about how um, pairs work together when they're pairing, and a lot of the kind of. Uh, I don't know if I want to call it folklore, but a lot of what people were saying about pairing at the time was, you know, there's this role of driver and navigator. Um, the driver works at a really low level of granular detail and the navigator's thinking about the bigger picture and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think I, I went to five different companies and recorded hours and hours and hours of programmers' dialogue. Um, and then I... Um, transcribed and analyzed 14,866 sentences of dialogue, break up, up the dialogue in different ways to see whether, you know, there's, there are these two roles and they're distinctly different. And actually what it seemed much more like was the driver and navigator together negotiated this landscape of different levels of granularity and abstraction. Uh, which makes total sense. It'd be really hard to have a conversation if one of you was talking about syntax and the other one was talking about the customer domain kind of thing. What I really love about that, even though I, I would not love transcribing 14,600 whatever sentences of pair programming conversation, is that she? it reminds me of a conversation we had uh, on a podcast in Ireland about actually doing good experiments. Yeah. So what she did there was she took some sort of accepted wisdom and then just tested the hell out of it so well actually Mm. is this true Mm. um and got significant amount of data actually did did the work uh, and found out that it was that it was different um Mm. and that was that was part of her her phd Mm. because we've i mean we've we've um we haven't pair pro have you ever paired programs jeff um so the no, closest I would say thing no. to it. I would, I would say so. What I have done is I've, you know, I've done some years ago. I did some sort of SQL and, and uh, statements and things with somebody else there. Mm-hmm. They weren't really pairing as such. They were just kind of helping and checking and 
sort of coaching and mentoring me really mm. rather than actually properly pairing because mm. i don't know i mean maybe i'm i haven't you know I, i'm maybe not a great example and I've, I've maybe not seen enough xp teams to to warrant it but well i used to work, work with laura yeah remember laura so laura was was um xp and she she was um, a big advocate of pairing i don't i never paired with her you didn't um, no but oh. um but the, i think the closest i got to to pairing myself was probably Cody. We'll yeah. call him. We'll call him Cody, hmm. not because that's anyone else's name, but that's 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 just his name. Hmm. Um, and I wouldn't describe. I don't think that was really a pairing. Uh, in, in like I said, but as Sal said, in in the classic sense, is that I don't think many people do pair in the classic strictest sense. I think it's much more fluid and I think from my experience it's, it's much more it switches much more often than you might realize and you're, you're kind of you're both dipping in and dipping out of the, of the detail on a lot more yeah, frequent um, basis. Sal used the word folk folklore there and I think you know you, you brought up in the conversation that the fact that quite a lot of people are still wary mm. and sort of hesitant about pair crime almost afraid although they probably wouldn't use the word afraid um and I think quite a bit of that is down to this this false folklore about mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. And actually what people have done is they've made pair programming their own. It's evolved into something. There are a number of different ways of, of doing that, but following the, 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 the basic principles. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the uh, one of the things that, that we talked about was another myth that's associated with pair programming yeah, and yeah. Which, which also linked into some of the, the wider conversation that we had as a whole was around sort of introversion communication talking and stuff uh, so let's just play that one and the other thing that i found that i really really liked was that more experienced pairs talk significantly less um than less experienced pairs which is interesting because at the time i thought collaboration that's all about talking and you know chatting and actually it seems like a really important thing to learn is uh when to kind of take a break uh when to just have some thinking time when to be quiet i wonder if that's got anything i, I completely agree and i um yeah i'm not disputing what sal's saying at all because that's the basis of a thesis i'm not going to mm -hmm. dispute that but um, I wonder if that's got something to do with flow of what I was going to mention. I wonder if the more experienced you are, if, you're, if you've got two very experienced um, developers that are fully immersed in that kind of mode mm -hmm. where the conversation just slows you down, whether you just, you're purely using fingers and eyes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're, you're, you're certainly you, you expect that in different arenas and in, 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 in certainly from an improv side of things, that kind of, you completely shut out what's going on around you. You're completely immersed. In this case, I imagine it's the screen that, that you see and, and the the uh, the environment that you're in. Yeah, and I when you mentioned Cody, I, mean, I tend to call him Cody because Cody, an Aussie. Uh, uh, he was one of the least quiet people that um, that I've ever worked with. Yes, um, but I would say the quietest he was was when he was actually mm. coding mm. Um, and there were some people that he could really code with and some people that he really could not mm -hmm. um, and wouldn't want to is more what I meant but yeah that I think that that fear of having to 
to have your code judged, to be critiqued, um, to have to have a conversation about it, uh, I think does put a little, put a few people off. But it doesn't have to be that way. And a lot of these conversations are a lot more nuanced, so they are a lot more non-verbal. There's, in my head, I'm thinking of um, a sort of analogy to that is. Um, I'm thinking of two people that we used to work with. One person who would literally say, okay, I want to drive now. Okay. And, <laughs> I know who you take, mean. And I take, know who you mean. Take the keyboard away. Whether you, yes. Whether you when, I, when, I, when I least wanted it, Jeff. Yeah. Mm. Um, and another person who, not coding, but just talking, would, would be making noises when they wanted to say something. So you mm. kind of felt under pressure to finish your sentence or keep mm. going because you didn't want them to get their words in. <laughs> um, but, so you, but you can pick up a load of those quite subtle cues that something is waiting to be added to the to the conversation or to the code. Yeah. Um, and the more you work together, the more you, you can develop those tacit conversations. Yeah. And I think I, a lot of scrum teams, so I, I obviously I've made my main background and my main experiences are with scrum teams that, that dabble and tried and, and um, yeah, kind of experimented with, with pairing. And I think I probably know more teams now that have tried it um, they get some some value out of it for a very short period of time. It's not the type of thing that you would do start at nine and then finish at five every day. It's just, and that was my initial perception. Um, that's what XP teams did. But I don't, I don't think in reality, I think it's a lot more tiring than that. I think it's a lot more, it's got a, it's got a specific use and for, for small um, high energy well, not high energy, maybe that's the wrong word, but focused sessions to, to get into the, the real heart of a, a bit of code or, or an issue or a bug or something like that. And then you can break it. You've got to break out there because it is tiring. I think for, for many people, it's, it's, it's exhausting. Well, Sal actually used that word exhausting, didn't yeah. she? Yeah. She knows more about it than us. So let's hear, yeah. point. Let's hear what she but says. Obviously, people are doing um, ensemble programming or some people call it uh, mob programming more as a whole group. Um, and I, th I think some of the things that we learned from pairing is probably still true about that, which are working together like that is exhausting. And even the teams that I looked at way back then that said, oh, we pair full time. They never, nobody ever paired from nine o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night because you just can't do it. But obviously people are yeah. doing. So, they, and that was another myth, right? It's another myth that put yeah. people off. And I, I fell foul of that myself. I, that's what I really believe XP teams did. But we actually took that myth and and ran with it outside of pairing. Um, something that Sal sort of admitted that she felt a bit guilty about and something that we've, we've talked a little bit about recently, certainly since the pandemic, is how mm -hmm. you know, we, we were part of the movement that was helping people shift away from cubicle-based isolation and handoffs to very much open plan noisy collaboration post-its on walls and so on and while we've tried to be a little bit sensitive to the people who felt less comfortable and we were some of those people we were people who did feel uncomfortable about being in a big group and standing yeah 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 putting our point of view forward even writing on a post-it and sticking on we felt uncomfortable about that so we had we had a certain element of empathy uh, for others in that situation but we were part of that movement pushing the other way mm. um and now having heard so many people say oh it's just nice to come back to a little bit of quiet away from all that <laughs> noisy agile collaboration um 
that actually maybe we we did go too far mm. um and there is probably a balance and, and we have spoken about having noisy time and quiet time and you know collaborative time and focus time and so on um, but that that inclusive collaboration is is for me one of the hallmarks of what sal has really really um contributed to highlighted almost to a degree campaigned for yeah uh over the last eight years or so yeah and she was it had a, obviously you could tell and she spoke a, a bit about this during the the uh, the chat that we had that obviously it's it is it, a personal quest that she she was on due to her you know she she spoke about some of the family um of how her family was diagnosed with autism as well so i think that that obviously gave her that push gave her that drive to investigate it um, and, and find out as much as she could about it to try and you know learn well how can what can i learn from this that i can apply to my professional life as well hmm. yeah let's let's pick one of these two clips let's see what this one is one of my children got an autism diagnosis um and the early in the kind of early days of that when when I was kind of reading about it I kind of got very intensely interested in needing to know everything about it in a very cell-like kind of way um so then I got to thinking about some of the really outstanding teams that I worked on over the years had people on them who were incredibly quirky and yet completely accepted and some of those people were people who could come across as, you know, who, who, who maybe like traditionally you think are oh, they're a bit grumpy. And then other people who are like incredibly flamboyant and, and just, just like loads and loads of different people in different frames. And that seemed to be really important to those kind of special teams. Um, but then when I thought about all the, the work that I'd been doing as, a, as an agile coach, and I think a, a lot of that community were doing about, you know, no, we need to make these open plan environments. We need to break down all the cubicles and everybody needs to collaborate all the time. And uh, actually, that's just a different kind of monoculture. So it was kind of like, actually, we've been moving from this monoculture of back in the day when programmers all sat in cubicles and nobody spoke to anybody else right over to the other extreme of everyone has to collaborate all the time it has to be really vibrant and noisy and etc etc and that just like in the other case that just wasn't gonna cater for all the different kinds of brilliant minds that we need yeah and i remember actually this was it maybe what are we talking about six seven maybe eight years ago um you know, when Sal started doing talks at conferences about about this kind of um, conversation that probably needed to happen in a lot more organisations and a lot more teams, that kind of like the bystander effect, if you like, as soon as one person got on a public stage and said something from personal experience, uh, it opened the floodgates for other people to say, yes, mm. yes, that, that, what she just said. Mm. Uh, and I think it was such a such an important thing um, and a lot of teams have benefited from that as well as individuals have benefited from that. Mm. And I think it's, it's weird, isn't it? So especially in, in our industry, the people who, I, I suppose, because we, we put ourselves into this category, but many of the people that stood up and like you said, were um, um, kind of evangelizing this new open, collaborative, noisy, um 
environment and you and me both like you said we we would we wouldn't be the first people to do that ordinarily mm. and i think it was quite refreshing and, and what sells especially what sal says and what and, and and how she she brings that that she's certainly trying to be more you know open our eyes open my eyes to to being more inclusive of, of everyone and many people in in the software industry needed to hear that they needed to know that it's okay it's not just nine you know nine to five um working on a whiteboard and and you know kind of you know kind of you know just shouting at each other in that kind of hubbub environment it's not it doesn't have to be like that and, and she's she uses the, the word which i like really well she says about these blended environments which like you said they've got they've got opportunities they've got open plan spaces to work in but they've also got breakouts they've got quiet space they've got um focused times of the day where you, you know you can just you know it's good protocols so you can be left alone whatever you need but it's got to be a, a mix of both yeah yeah the um just the idea of well it made me think without without wishing to to stereotype i would i would say there are more people in the software industry that would classify themselves towards the introversion side of the scale than the extroversion okay i might be wrong yep that's that's my instinctive calculation and despite that a more collaborative extroverted style of working has gathered pace and has become the dominant the dominant style yep so even though people find it uncomfortable won't really enjoy it do it and it's worked so in my head i'm thinking why mm -hmm. if people are generally resistant to change they want to avoid pain they want to avoid physical discomfort they want to avoid social rejection and social ostracism and so on why would they work this way? Yeah. And that tells me that they realize the value in it despite the discomfort. Yeah. And I've said that, I've said to many people that being part of an agile team is a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. There is a sacrifice. In you, you have to let go to a degree of your selfish, all of your selfish goals. Not all of them, but but certainly you can't have 100% of your selfish goals. You have to put yourself out there a little bit. Not completely, but mm -hmm. you will have to put yourself out there. And you're recognizing that other people are doing that as well. Um, but the, 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 the return, what you get in exchange for that should, and I would say mo vast majority of cases does, significantly outweigh mm -hmm. what you put in, both in terms of purpose in terms of belonging both in terms of output quality um all those different things outweigh the small i shouldn't say small because for, for many people it's not small it's terrifying. yeah yeah i know you mean but it's very easy to focus on those 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 things isn't it that, that we find uncomfortable and we we it's the the magic ratio isn't it it's, it's, it's five negatives yeah sorry it's five, it's five to one we remember the negative stuff we remember the stuff that hurts us we remember the stuff that's painful for us we, we tend to forget all the benefits that we're gaining from it yeah and it and it de declines over time right as with anything that it is uncomfortable the more you do it the less yep. uncomfortable it becomes um it's not 
you know, my, me public speaking, it's not something I'm ever going to think, do you know what? I absolutely bloody love this. <laughs> uh, can I do it every day, please? Mm. Uh, I'll still get nervous. I'll still have a little bit of stress, but nowhere near what it was before and what I get out of it outweighs mm. it. Um, I think for me, so Sal is, I would, if I was to choose a couple of words to describe Sal, I would choose intellectual, mm-hmm. calm, um, and collaborative. Those would be my three. Mm. Actually, I'll probably get three C's. Clever, calm, and collaborative. Nice. You get three nice. C's. Um, and I had, a, I had a theory that I put to her based on her background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, one of the one of the things about diving is the better you get at it, the slower it is. It's like the laziest sport ever, because as your buoyancy gets better, you don't even need to really kind of fin with your feet very much or anything, because you're just sort of in midwater, carefully looking at and and again the more interested you get in the marine, the more you start liking, like, yeah, the big things are really cool, but you start liking the really little things. So you get, in a way, it's, you get lazier and lazier as you go along, but it does become more, you know, you're, you've got this very gentle, slow breathing happening. There's, it's not too noisy apart from the sound of your own breath. And although the environment can be quite busy and there can be quite a lot going on, it definitely feels almost meditative. So her background as a diving instructor, my, my, my hypothesis was that, that that influenced her ability to stay calm in in an agile coach role. You've I done any diving? I've done it once. I wouldn't say it was calm. No? <laughs> but but I think that's that just shows, doesn't it, that um that's nerves. Obviously the the with experience. And I remember the instructor when I did diving that he told me you will use far more oxygen than you actually need because you're nervous. Mm. <laughs> You'll be heavy breathing basically through the um, regulator. Is that, yeah. is that the right word for it? But yeah, so um, it just shows that I think I, she, we didn't really ask, ask her how long she she was diving, but I, I got the impression she'd be doing it a long time and she was very experienced. So with that experience brings that that sense of calm and, and her environment. I, I imagine it is a very cathartic place to be because there's no hardly any sound isn't it you're just you're completely immersed in water and everything's like she said everything's slowed down everything's amplified in so much as your own uh, apart from your hearing everything's um much more amplified well they say about great sports people and, yeah. and i think other people as well that the things seem to 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 feel slow for them they, 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 they it doesn't happen too fast doesn't overwhelm them um I, yeah i i see that when we've worked together when i've seen her facilitate a room when we've pair pair coached and things see just the the calmness i think that's that comes through in her style and like it can't have been a coincidence in my opinion she's got a very calm calming voice isn't she i imagine she in a in a facilitatory sense, she could um, diffuse. I've never, I've no, I don't think I've ever been in a session where Sal's facilitates. I've seen her present, but I don't think I've seen her facilitate. But I can imagine that she has the the ability to really slow things down again and and diffuse even the most tense situation. Well, she, I, I, I put this to her, and I don't think she remembered it. Um, but there was a time many years ago when we were 
we were doing something together and I couldn't really remember the specifics so that didn't help her remember but <laughs> um, I was putting forward my, my view on collaboration uh, possibly even giving a definition uh, um, and bless her Sal managed to correct me in the most tactful way I've ever been corrected in front mm. of a group of people uh, without making me look silly she's got a PhD in collaboration so she knows what the collaboration is right? <laughs> uh, so she managed she couldn't let it go because it's kind of a professional you know thing so she managed to do that so well so calm no 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 diffusion needed because she dealt with it so well uh, and I didn't didn't leave that feeling any kind of resentment or but it's obviously that obviously stayed with you for some some reason well yeah I mean I hate, I hate making mistakes but also just that view of but how she did it, how she went about it. Yeah, whenever I see something good, I always think, could I have done that? Yeah. And now that I've seen it, do I think I could do that? Mm. I think that's possibly one of those things that I've logged as, if I can achieve that, I would be a better human being, mm. not just a professional. Yeah. So it's yeah. I, I I believe everyone. There's some ancient Greek or Roman person who who was known for saying everybody you meet has something you can take mm. from. Not as in steel, but they have something about their character, their personality that you can you can learn from. So yeah. you get from every person you meet. Um, and Sal has a lot. So that's that's definitely one of those things that I would take from her. Um, and actually, so we did ask her. Put her on the spot, which is a little bit unfair. But we did ask her for her definition of collaboration. Uh, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a few years since I've uh, <laughs> since I've been asked that. Um, so one of the ways that I remember talking about the difference between more of a cooperative way of working together and a collaborative way of working together um, is um, if you think that you're with somebody else and you're doing a crossword together and if you said to that person well look I'm going to do the down clues and you're going to do the across clues and then we'll work out where they black and where the problems are and then you know we'll fill the whole thing in that that's more of a cooperative approach than collaboration and that collaboration is more kind of let's read out one across, let's discuss it, let's think about it, maybe quite a little bit, maybe talk about it a little bit until we agree together on what we want to put in for that word and how we want to move, what we want to move on to next and do next. So I can't, I can't help but think about how scrum and sprint planning was defined. And it was set up really for cooperation, but it was intended to be collaborative. Go on, tell, go on, explain. Well, how, we, how we were taught sprint planning all those years ago was that each member of the scrum team would sign up for tasks on on the backlog that they were going to, to work on. Yeah, and I would be what the one who would always walk up first. Yeah, I'll cherry pick that one, I'll cherry pick that one. Thing I want to do those. And you, everyone else would kind of grimace. And Paul's, Paul's up first. He's taking all the stuff that he wants to do. Yeah. So most scrum teams, I would say, the best they get to is is cooperative to begin with because yeah. some people are doing the across clues, some people are doing the down clues to use sales metaphor. But the best the best teams don't. They'll they'll effectively mob or, or have yeah. mini mobs or sub mobs. So okay, we with our skill set can get that thing, that piece of value done. And once we're yeah. done with that, then we'll think about what's next. Um, and I think, yeah. 
so you can't you can't go back and change the past and you can only do the best with the information you have at hand but if i had the information that i had from sal back then i would have been teaching sprint planning a lot differently well i think even now jeff i'm guilty of a little bit of this in terms of in my scrum training i'm talking about people ask me how to, how to sprint plan and things like that and how long should it take yeah and um there seems to be a desire for things to be faster things to be quick yeah how can we get this this horrible planning session done as quickly and as as painlessly as possible and it that what you've described there lends itself better if i do you just say you do story a i'll do story b you do story d um then we're sorted we can be done in 10 minutes but what takes time is to then look at well let's just look at you know story a let's talk about all the parts let's talk about how we're going to design it let's talk about how different not just how we're going to design it but how how shouldn't we do this how should what's the wrong way to do this so we can make sure we know what the right way is that takes time and that was when you think back to what ken used to talk about that was what sprint planning was it was much more much more slow dare i say it and it's that like sal said it's that diving thing isn't it it's slowing things down yeah she used a really good phrase actually deadline junkies yeah that we're deadline junkies and i think yeah you think most of the the, the office environments that we've been in it's very much when is it going to be done when when yeah. do i get my thing when when can we, let's let's minimize the amount of time let's let's get through this really quickly let's get through this really efficiently bang out all the waste and i think that crept into all of the the ceremonies as well right mm. can we do a retrospective in half an hour uh how, how short can we make sprint planning yeah just just stopping and thinking and talking is something that sounds brilliant at creating an environment for uh, something that but I think I think it's all linked. So if we do find that level of collaboration uncomfortable, then we're more inclined to want to speed it up. So I think True. the two are linked. True. So it's about making it comfortable. Um, and and I else. think I, I think a lot of people people I'm mainly talking about me um, is that if we know if we can set if we can prepare for that, we know we're going to have a three hour session of fairly high intensity collaboration mm -hmm. but you can have the afternoon you know you can sit you know you can take some time out this afternoon if we know we've got that retreat yeah afterwards we can kind of cope with that yeah. it's why i need to sit you know uh, as i've said many times before on these pop uh, podcasts podcast podcasts i can't speak pubcasts after after a full day's training um i'll just need quiet time i just need to sit in my room or sit sit watch in front of the tv leave me alone yeah yeah someone else who was brilliant at collaboration and another reason why i wanted to talk to sal is because yeah. someone that we had in common and was one of my favorite human beings ever not just favorite agilist but favorite human beings ever uh, gene tobaker who was author of Collaboration Explained, one of the first scrum trainers, scrum coaches, voice of reason, um, community builder, um, and basically all-round good egg, who died four, four years ago. Well, I'd probably say more than that, Jeff, now. Um, yeah, and so we wanted to spend a little bit of time just reminiscing, uh, because if... To be fair, if Jean was still here, she would have been my, one of my first people that I would have been getting on this podcast. And she would have 
jumped at it because she was one of the most general people, generous people. So um, we asked Sal for some of her favourite memories of, of Jean as we were as we were talking about that. So we'll just quickly play that one. So my my favourite memory very early on in in me knowing Jean, I was at a retrospective facilitators gathering, and at the gathering. It was a session that was about, it was about politics. The idea, I think, was that it sort of set you up to behave politically in teams against each other. And Jean and I decided really early on that we were just going to break the bank. We were just going to ruin the system so that everybody could win together. And I like that. And, and, and I always felt that about Jean, that she, there was something a little bit disruptive in the way that she thought that I really, really liked. So, yeah, you know, you see, um, you hear people say that they join a company because of the leader. Yeah. Um, well, Jean was never the leader of the company. No. Officially, she would never held that sort of position of power or authority or responsibility. But so many people joined a company, considered considered joining a company, and I was one of them who travelled thousands of miles to potentially join a company. One of the reasons was because Jean was there, mm. um, and she, I can, I know you can remember us walking down a corridor past a room where Jean was teaching and in the middle of a course just shouting out hello to us yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> running out to give us a hug mm. um, that was probably yeah. two, 2006 that was Jeff you know, Minneapolis probably yeah so yeah we, we wanted to, to have a quick chat about and if you if, if you didn't have the benefit of meeting Jean um, that's a shame for you uh, she wrote a really good book, one of the first books um, on collaboration, uh, which has got so many tips in there that you, you wouldn't be able to, to count them. Um, so check it out. And, and yeah, I think, we should, Jean. I think we should, we, well, well, we're not going to end now, but I think we will take a pause here to, to raise a glass to Jean, because I think um, 2016, she, she passed away. Okay. Um, and I think, like you said, I think, if she was here for this, um, for this, for these series of prestigious pints, I think she would have probably been the first name on our, you know, the top of our list straight away. And and I'm like you said, I'm pretty sure she would have um, said yes to, to to agreeing to come on and having a chat. So we do miss you, Jean. We do miss you. Yeah. So Sal was one of the people that I knew knew Jean well, partly because they inhabited that world of collaboration so closely. Um, and they also had that similar kind of personality where they were a little bit naughty, but for good reason, you know, um, disruptive, I tended to call it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we... Um, playfully disruptive. Yeah, playfully disruptive, nice one. Uh, and always giving. So she was always, whenever she created content, she put it out there, didn't care about copyright, whatever. You want to use it, you can use it. Brilliant. Um, so great influence there. And then... We are we again. We put Sal on the spot again yeah. towards the end. I mean, we we were nice to her. Don't get this wrong. We were nice <laughs> to her. Um, but we did put her on the spot and said, "So, given how people are are faced with this challenge of trying to make their teams, their organisations more inclusive, it's not easy. You know, even if you want to, it's not easy." So what tips did she have for people who wanted to try and make their sessions, their teams, their environments, their courses, whatever they were doing, to try and make them more inclusive of people? And this is what she had to say. I would 
take photos of the room and send to people in advance so they knew what it was going to look like. I would show them what reception looks like. I would um, um, I would give them some structure for the time that they were going to spend with me, what kind of things we were going to do, what kind of questions they were going to be asked, particularly icebreakers kind of thing. I would make a point of saying there's optionality as many times as I could. I would make sure people knew it was up to them when they wanted to take breaks. I would also want to provide quiet spaces and let people know that it's completely okay to take themselves off to a quiet space whenever they want to. So I think there's a lot that I, I, I love the idea of photos of mm. the venue, the reception, the room. It's something I've never even thought of. No. And I think it's something as trainers that we take for granted. We know what the room looks like. And that's, and that's the most important thing. <laughs> but I know how, how appreciative I would be of that if somebody did that for me. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I have as much of a need perhaps as, as maybe other people so no i think i could benefit from it m m other people must be able to benefit from it as well so yeah we've got some courses coming up in in november and i'm i'm going to be sending out some some photos yeah. in front of the building reception well, the room well even the idea of we yeah we we would have formalized breaks but even just saying to people if you need to need a break take a break if you want you, know, you want to get some time out take some time out whatever that might be and then one it did make me think at the time when she mentioned that is one of the passing comments that we've had about so particularly for some of our courses we do a lot more coursework mm -hmm. and i think people actually quite like that they like and i know you do a lot of distance learning as well so it's a different way to learn and for if you are if you do find those kind of intense two-day three-day sessions um too too much or too quite uncomfortable sometimes knowing that you've got coursework to fall back on is a, is a is a nice way to slow down your learning and, and, and think in different ways yeah yeah so i think that's you know that's something that i i we have tried to to build up like i said the distance learning approach has been a a game changer for a lot of people mm. being able to to learn on their own at their own pace or perhaps in smaller groups but remotely uh, in short bursts uh, yeah. without the pressure of being put on the spot in the front of a classroom that kind of, it's been a, a game changer for a lot of people and yeah it took a lot of effort to to, to change how we were doing things but it's definitely worth it I th i've benefited from that as well i think yeah absolutely i think we both have so yeah i mean we've 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 chatted to some quite a wide range of influential people already we haven't finished yet necessarily but um yeah people who've contributed to a lot of our listeners, whether those listeners know it or not, mm. the environment they find themselves in, the state of agile they find themselves in, the state of their workplace, their employers that they find themselves in. People like Sal, people like Mike, people like Esther, people like Roman and Lisa, they've all had a massive impact on the, the, the change to where we are now. And that was, again, to remind people, that's why we've done this, to, to try and bring a lot of that stuff together and remind people of where we've, yeah. we've been 20 years since the Agile Manifesto. And don't be afraid if, if you know, the idea with, with this is that we, when we tweet out these, um, these episodes, we will obviously link in the likes of Sal and, and all these people that we've spoken to and, you know, go and find, find out what they're doing, find out what they're up to, read their blog posts, read, you know, look at their um, conference proposals and, that you just Google their names and you'll find a whole wealth of stuff that they, that, that, that those people have been doing. And you might, you know, there might be people they can help you that you didn't, didn't even realize that they could. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, well, that that's a nice wrap up, isn't it? Yeah, that's good. The um, what else have we got to say? Maybe a couple of little public announcements. We've got our Christmas party. I know it's a little bit early. We haven't got Halloween at all oh, yet. It's never too early for Christmas, Jeff. But just to put the date in the calendar, yeah, yeah, just to let people be aware, we're going to open up the social distance in for a special, uh, special occasion for a Christmas party on the seventeenth of December. So any of you who are listening and think, do you know what? Yeah, I'll turn up for a pint. You can turn your camera off. You can turn your microphone off. You can just turn up and just just watch and observe and listen if you want. Or you can join in and have a conversation. You, we'll put little breakout rooms out there if you want to go and join that. Well, if you have a game of werewolves, you never know. Um, have a beer, have a glass of wine, glass of water, whatever you want. So 17th of December, um, around about... It's a Friday o'clock. night, isn't it? Is it a Friday, Friday o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Friday, 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 around about 6 o'clock UK time. Yeah. So after work, hopefully... Or some people are still awake in other parts of the world. So look out for that. Um, if you've got anyone that you think, this is a really influential person in, in the Agile movement, you'd like us to include them on a prestigious Pints episode, let us know. What would be even better is if you speak to them and say, would you be up for it, first of all? Because <laughs> then we don't have to do all the convincing. Oh, do you know who we are? Would you like to be on our episode? But if you've got anyone, brilliant, do that. Um, and if, if, you, if you like a bit of a gamble... Uh, if you're up for a little bit of uh, an experiment or, or trusting your your luck, then um, I'm selling a new product that you won't know what it is. Mystery product. A mystery product. So, as you probably know, or well, Paul pointed out at the start, we do have our Agile pub- Pubcast merchandise. We have our Agile Pubcast branded glasses and beer mats and bottle openers and so on, uh, which you can buy for a very reasonable price already but if you wanted to upgrade that experience to something with a mystery product then you can buy a secret santa version through my website inspectandadapt.com slash shop um if you don't like it when you get it you can get a refund but you might want to try it any other announcements that we need to make mr Goddard? any other business no i think um nothing for me i'm all good Okay, I'm not quite sure when this goes out, but um, if you were interested in signing up to one of our in-person courses, advanced courses, this November, it's going to be very yeah. last minute, but you never know, there might be a seat available. If you want to catch us in person and come for a drink with us after after day one, at the end of the day, then you might be in luck. Check out our websites for details of those courses. Lovely. Other Good than stuff. that, I will bid you adieu. Adieu, my friend, adieu.